Hello and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. Things are different today without Henry around, so I'm introducing this episode. But I do try to do pretty much the same thing that you're used to. And I'm here with Mike Casimir, and it's just the two of us here today. Kaz, did you ride a bike today? I did. Yeah, I got on a little e-bike ride. Oh, nice. nice. How was it? Yeah, it was good. It's really nice. I might try to go for a regular bike ride after this because it's sunny and the dirt is perfect. So <laughs> I have to double up. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Naturally. Can't just can't just do one. No. What well, did you do today? Oh, I did not ride a bike today, but I did get outside. Yesterday afternoon, I launched my paraglider at a site. I'm in Utah right now. Um, I launched from one mountain here, crossed to a neighboring mountain and landed on kind of like a high point ridge there and camped for the night and had intentions of flying out this morning. I did actually a pretty similar thing a few years ago and was sort of trying to like repeat it, but better this time around. Um, but the weather just didn't line up to be something I was comfortable with this morning. And so I ended up taking a really, really long walk out. So anyway, so recording right now in the evening, which is not our normal time, but glad we could make it work and glad I'm out of the woods and back to the land of things like food and showers. Yes, um, good, so good yeah. job getting out. Yeah, I imagine your pack must be huge. When you're pack hiking out of the woods with your camping stuff and your paraglider, isn't that like the yeah. biggest backpack ever? It wasn't very light. Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually don't know exactly how much it weighs, but I'd guess around like 45 pounds. Oh, so it's like not horrible. It's no. not crazy. It's not my biggest paragliding backpack because um, I had a pretty light harness and sort of medium wing. But yeah, I mean, I'd, I would much rather hike without it. Right. Yeah. Or fly. But, but no, I'm glad yeah. you made it here. So yeah, we can we'll do some podcasting. Yeah, we'll talk about bikes. Do some eventually. podcasting. Talk about bikes and bike racing. This is another week of probably the main news being about racing. And once again, the spotlight was kind of on the weather with a lot of schedule changes and the course getting really, really affected um, because it's brand new. And the riders kind of seemed to make the most of it and just had a really wild, really eventful race, but very competitive. And we saw a lot of really, really strong riders have amazing moments. In the women's, we saw Valley back on top with Nina taking second and Marine Cabaru rounding out the top three. It was really great to see Marine Cabaru back. Um, and we saw a lot of misadventures in the men's race, I think just because of the weather and the rain affecting the course so much. But so many of the top riders had really ridiculously wild race runs and it was cool to watch. It keeps it very interesting for us. Kaz, do you, did you have a favorite moment watching? Man, I mean, that track looked amazing to me. Out of all the World Cup tracks that I've seen this this season, this is the one that I would like to go try to ride with no one looking, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to race it. I just want to go like, <laughs> by myself when no one's around and try to get down it because it looked super fun. Like, that's my style, just like really steep, steep terrain and some catch berms. And what nothing looked too gnarly. It was just the steepness was what was making it difficult, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, the I'd, steepness and the to, conditions for sure. Yeah, so I'd love to check that out. And yeah, obviously, we did see the junior race canceled for because it was going to be too dangerous for the kids. But you guys can all watch uh, Ben Cathro put together a good video about the reasoning behind that. Yeah. So, no junior race. But yeah, the elite races were super exciting to watch. Um, as far as favorite runs, I mean, well, Kate, Edward, Kate Edwards is probably my favorite run because he oh, did a yeah. sweet, like, tuck no hander in <laughs> mid-run, mm-hmm. which is always good. I, would, I don't even know what sport. He's doing his own sport, I think. It's like <laughs> I know it's like slope-style downhill racing, and I love it. But um, I can fully get behind that. Yeah. And then, I mean, Dakota Norton's run, he got second place with a run that had a bunch of, I mean, basically chaotic. Yeah. He was just kind of loose and he pushed it and that was cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's cool to see. And I think he's just, he's had that a long time coming. 
Yeah, he's getting close. And then, I mean, like Tebow's crash. Tebow's always rolling the dice, and his crash was so brutal. His hand just blows yeah. off, and he scorpions oh, in the woods. Was, that was pretty yeah. ridiculous. His bike went so far away, he was just standing there confused because it just went into like a portal. <laughs> it just disappeared. So, yeah, I mean, overall, it was super fun to watch. And I think the commentary was nice because they had Aaron Gwynn in the, common, um, the commentary yeah. booth joining Cedric and Rick. So it was a little bit more insight into what was going on. And I don't know. I thought it was great. A great race. Yeah. I thought Gwynn had really knowledgeable comments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, of course, we saw, yeah, we saw Ludenville. Ludenville? Is that how you say the place's name? Yeah, I, I said Ludenville. 100% no. Yeah. I should probably pay attention to any of these announcers because they do mention it regularly. Yes. Um, so we also saw some of the new EDR happen there. And in the women, we saw Isabeau Cordurier take the win, which is really not a surprise. She's kind of probably used to being on top by now, followed by Morgan Shar and Ella Connolly. Again, no surprises, but I'm really genuinely happy to see all of those ladies succeeding. The men's was a little, a little newer, I guess, with up-and-coming riders taking all three spots, I think, with Yoon Dinard taking the win, followed by Alex Rudeau and Louis Jundel. Um, Louis Jundel might be the real way to say his name. Yeah, the um, French Turns out the French are strong in France. Turns out the French are very strong in France. And yeah, lived up to a lot of the hype there. So now that I'm here with the tech guy, it might be good to just see what's happening in the new bike world. I think you've been on a score recently, Mike, right? Do you want to tell us a bit about that? For sure. Yeah, the new score 2030 came out. Um, I guess it was two years ago we reviewed the 4060. So they've got a little trend going on with their their naming scheme. <laughs> so 2030 means you can either have 120 or 130 mils of travel. Uh, comes with 120 and a 140 fork. But they kind of push the geometry a bit. It's pretty slack. Uh, really short back end, but slack front end. And it's a, yeah, I had a great time on it. Super fun trail bike. Um, yeah, it's kind of, kind of suits my riding style. It's a, kind of a fun for the trails around here, they're a little bit flowier and not super rowdy, but you can still get on the rowdy stuff and have a good time. So I think they did a great job with that one. Yeah, it sounds really great. It looks really great. I'd love to ride that bike. Yeah, it's fun. It's expensive is the only downside. The, the part spec is, <laughs> it, you know, compared to other other bikes, it's a little bit overpriced, I would say. But the frame only is about the same as, as comparable bikes. So I think realistically, people that want to find a better deal should buy the frame only and build it up. But Either way, that I don't know anyone that gets to ride it. It's a it's a really good time. I liked it. That's sweet. That makes sense. And with that, we're gonna head into the next Pink Bike Podcast episode. This one is an interview with Miranda Miller, which I have not actually gotten to listen to yet, and won't hear until the podcast episode airs. But I really like Henry's interview style, and Miranda seems like such a rad person that I'm sure it'll be worth a listen. I don't know Miranda well at all, but I've talked to her enough to think that the bike world is better off with her for sure and we're really lucky that she's kind of sharing the whole progression with us and sharing her cool experience so lucky us with that let's give it a listen miranda miller welcome to the pink bike podcast so You've had a long history in racing. I feel that now you may be moving into other areas. For the listeners at home, can you explain what, what your current, what's on your list at the moment? What it is, what's your job sort of thing? Uh, what is my job? Uh, I guess technically I would be a content creator mm-hmm. uh, for SRAM. Oh, okay. Yeah. So directly with SRAM, I don't have any other sort of frame sponsors or anything. I have 
you know, other sponsors for, you know, Maxis clothing, Rafa, you know, things like yeah. that. Um, but yeah, SRAM's like my main sponsor and I've been working kind of with their brand team on the mountain and the roadside doing content. And that's kind of, if you were a racer, that would be sort of the dream situation to be able to run what frame you want, right? Oh yeah. Total, total dream total scenario. Freedom. Yeah. Because I often think that, yeah, there's a lot of people out there that in the privateer circles, I think that really want to be sponsored. And there's probably a lot of people when they get to the really sharp end that wish they had freedom. And I don't want to point the finger <laughs> at any one particular thing, but Jesus, it's a, it can be a tough gig. I think when you get trapped into as a racer, the life cycle of a product, say a frame, which might be four years, looking at your contract, which runs for four years and be like, Oh my God, I'm never going to get away from this bloody frame, you know? <laughs> yeah, or for sure. Part. Like there's, I think on one hand, it's easy to be like, yeah, the grass is always greener. You mm-hmm. know, you have some, you have a super sick bike, but then you're like, whoa, like that bike looks sick. Yeah. <laughs> and because you don't get to ride that bike, that bike will always, you know, that be a mystery and be special. Um, I think most things are like pretty, inc- most bikes are pretty incredible now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for sure. Like even being on Kona for a few years, they started phasing out like their downhill bike and things like that. So then all of a sudden I went from, you know, being on specialized where I was racing downhill to then being part of a program that had no downhill bike. Yeah. Um, so even just things like that, it kind of, kind of bums you out and there's nothing you can do about it, but you know, I mean, life's not so bad, but you, no, you but still it's... want to be able to have a downhill bike. And, yeah. Yeah. And when, because you did see, I think when Enduro really got exciting almost well, 10 years ago now, I guess. Um, we did see some big names transition. You know, I mean, Richie Rude is a really notable example where Yeti canned that team and, and off he went to Enduro. For you, was it mandated that you didn't do Enduro or did you want to do Enduro and it just happened to line up with Kona? Yeah, like I, so I swapped from downhill to Enduro in 2019. Um, and I'd been racing downhill as like a privateer, um, sort of on my own since I was about 19. So 2009 up until 2016. Um, and I loved it, but I was working full time or not full time, but working all winter, paying my way. And uh, SRAM would always support me at the races. Like I always had someone to pit. And it was kind of funny. It was like all of a sudden in 2017, I got signed to Specialized Gravity. Uh, so then all of a sudden I was like teammates with Finn and Loic. And it was a little bit like, what am I like? How did I get here? Yeah. Um, after doing it so long and being told, oh, there's no, there's no space on the team. There's no money. There's all these reasons of why I couldn't make that next step. I'd kind of just accepted it. And then kind of what felt like out of the blue, all of a sudden I had this opportunity. Um, and that was incredible. It was like, you know, two of the best, best years of my life. Well, like some of the hardest as well, but yeah, yeah it, was, it was definitely kind of like a, crazy situation to find myself in at 27 years old you yeah. know and that was the first time i'd ever gotten a paycheck or anything like that yeah. and which is kind of crazy because you know you're almost like 30 yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, i've been doing it for so long can you remember i mean i'm sure you can i think it would have been 2015 or 2016 i believe you'd have been sort of privateer specialized privateer sort of thing popping up at the World cup with mm-hmm. factory support every now and then i think and you did an interview for pink bike yeah, maybe. I, you did this interview <laughs> that I just thought was fucking sick. I can't, I, I remember, I guess it would have been 2016, it was about like, sort of, I don't know, kind of making good on the World Cups. And I don't know, there was something about it, I just thought, I think there was like a lot of, it felt from the audience, there was a lot of goodwill, hoping that you'd get more support from Specialized. Because I think, were you getting like, 
yeah. occasional support from them? How, how did that? It work? was through Corsa Cycles. So like I worked at Corsa since I was twelve. Like no way. Yeah, since, super cool. Yeah, the the story goes: Dave, who used to own Corsa, thought I was sixteen and a boy when <laughs> when he hired me, but I was like still in elementary school, no and I was just like sweeping floors. But yeah, yeah I worked there from two thousand and two until twenty seventeen. Wow. Um, and so they were a specialized dealer. And I was riding Santa Cruz before that. And at the time, of course, I didn't sell Santa Cruz. And so they really wanted me like on a brand, you know, that they sold. And uh, that was just like, I got a couple frames through Specialized Canada. And then, yeah, 2016, I started doing a couple more like media projects was uh, Specialized. Like we did a trip to South Africa. I, I can't even really remember how I got sort of thrown into it mm. um, but i think that was probably when i first started having more conversations with like the global specialized team yeah it was yeah probably 2016 and what was that moment like you know you said it was quite surreal but being told they had a spot for you on this huge yeah. <laughs> i mean because yeah it like didn't feel real and yeah. it almost didn't feel real the entire time i was there because yeah. it was like the pinnacle you know like i went from you know not much to then literally being in like a semi truck with two of the best riders. And it was, it was incredible because I became such good friends with them, but it was like really difficult as like an athlete. Cause you look at these people and it's like Loic and Finn were just like a, in, amazing, you know, and they were used to this lifestyle. Like I wasn't used to having a mechanic. I wasn't all these things you kind of have to get used to. It's mm. like what you dream of, but it's still different. Yeah. I um, think also within, well, with any, any sports or, anything that's got an element of progression to it. We always think about the consequences of failure. Oh no, what if I don't become this? And sometimes it's quite a hard thing to incorporate when you do. When you do, yeah. When you do get the thing you've always yeah, wanted. Exactly. You're like, oh, You're like, now what? what? It, yeah, now what does this mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know? And yeah. I, I think especially, I would imagine, you know, being a, like a really good, having, you know, a good like regional level support, going up to that World Cup support, it, as an adult, you know, you, like you said, you weren't, like some like junior who mm -hmm. just sort of like got bikes thrown at you. It must've been quite hard to, cause I, sometimes I think that with, I mean, I remember used to feel really mm, strange about it. Uh, like, you know, seeing privateers like scrapping for parts and to an element I, I still do. Um, and when I used to work for GMBN, obviously we would be supported by brands and I would go to world cups or interview world cup races. And remembering my friends who like couldn't get any support and then brands would be willing to support me to put videos on YouTube. I know it's slightly different now because like I, I review things, but I mean, it's, I suppose still the same. It's still product of product of the internet, but like, I know I never really adjusted that. I often, I often felt quite bad. I felt I got real bad <laughs> imposter syndrome because I was just, I didn't feel worthy. Yeah. Which, you know, that's probably true in my case. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's funny how you can tell yourself these things. Yeah. But then you would never look at someone else and be like, oh, they don't like, deserve to be there I yeah. think it's like only criticism that you have against yourself I mean, um, it's a case in point though I was reading an interview that you can't even remember I'd think like <laughs> wow this person's the real fucking deal you know <laughs> yeah. and then we've come all this way a year <laughs> on or whatever you get signed for specialised and maybe you don't feel did you get was it, would you say it was imposter syndrome or was it just um I would, no like I think the imposter syndrome definitely came later uh when so I won world champs um mm. it was just like it's weird. It just feels like you're living like a dream, really. Mm. Um, I, I can actually thank Troy Brosnan, I think, for getting on that team because he left for Canyon. We're at World Champs in Val de Sol, and they were staying later to do testing with Olin's. 
and they had made all these shocks for Troy and stuff. And then like the day before or something, he's like, nah, I'm going to Canyon. And uh, he'd kind of made the call or like the week before or something. And so they're like, well, we have all these shocks. Like, no well, It'd be great if someone could like test them. And then uh, Dan Hugo, who is like the global marketing manager. And then TJ from Olin's was like, Hey, like, what about what about that girl that rides the Specialized that's always at the Shrimp Pit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. And uh, and Dan had uh, knew me from like the trip to South Africa and stuff, so he came over and talked to me. He's like, "Hey, like, do you want to stay and do suspension testing with Olin's with like Specialized Gravity?" And I was like, <laughs> I remember I was like kind of drunk. I was like after the race, and I was like, <laughs> "What? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'll do that." <laughs> and then like. They helped me. They like changed my flight and everything. And then we did like 20 laps of Valdosol after the race or whatever. But that was good, it was good hard, testing. so hard. <laughs> I remember like Finn and Loic were like crazy hungover too and just yeah. like laying on the pit, like on the floor the whole time. Um, but then, and then, yeah. And then TJ from Olin's drove me back to the airport and we had like a good talk along the on the way. And I think, I think I owe like TJ and Dan Hugo like a lot for mm. kind of getting me on that team and. It's pretty pretty special of them that they like took that chance because really we didn't really know each other that well and yes. I knew Finn but I didn't know like Laurent or anyone that ran the team and yeah and then all of a sudden I was on the team. I think those TJs are really because he's a, he was the Odin's contact when mm -hmm. through Pink Bike Racing and there are certain people that very much fly under the radar in a media sense you know in terms of like they're not doing interviews or whatever but really really great. We, I was always so grateful for his help. He yeah. was so in it for the racing. Yeah. He'd be like, Yeah, he loves it. Flying, like, you know, springs and shocks in his hand luggage. Yeah. You know, just to get there in time. And honestly, that team probably wouldn't have worked. No. You know, without without his level, just level of commitment for to sure. And, making and sure it worked. You just see it like in their, you know, you look every race, you're like, wow, their bikes are like so dialed. And it's it, like, they didn't like just, they didn't 80% just end up sag. like that, you know? What's Lo that? Loic was more like 80% sag. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. Hey? When when Olin's came in, you was you know, there was kind of a bit of a fanfare about Olin's coming to mountain biking. Yeah. And although it's changed a bit now, it's there are a couple of teams they support at different levels. Yeah. Specialized still is their you know, For their, sure. their number one team. Yeah. Was it quite an exciting thing? Like Yeah, it was this, that was like probably my favorite part of like being on that team. Like you you know, Kevin's got a drawer, two drawers or whatever, and it's just shocks for like, <laughs> for like Finn and I with like all these different tunes, got to do so many like testing camps. And I feel like you learn so much as an athlete and a mm. rider. Um, and I think that's what maybe makes uh, Finn and Loic so good, especially Loic is like his ability to just do these laps repeatedly, you know, like have really good focus and like do say 80% for like 10 runs in a row mm. kind of thing and like doing this testing and that was one of the coolest experiences about being on that team was getting all the opportunity to do stuff like that not just me with like free lap being like I don't know, <laughs> you know I don't know <laughs> Jack knife that turn does yeah. it matter yeah, yeah. Um, and when you go, when you think about how you observed your maybe yourself or maybe some of your peers as privateers and then you go work with someone like Loic and now Finn is who's established himself very much at the top tier as well. I've always felt from the outside and working for other teams, obviously not inside of them, that there's probably in the elite category, there's that top five to 10 riders that they just, they maximize in a way that others don't. Everything is so clear and so, and 
I don't know, they're just able to operate at a level. I think that preparation can be the antidote to anxiety. And they are so well prepared, everything. Mm-hmm. What was it? Did, did you kind of start to understand then why perhaps Loic was making it from such a young age and some privateers never, even though they're incredibly fast, just never quite get through it? Yeah, I think, yeah, you're right. Like the way that they, there's one thing to come up with like a plan and to be prepared, but then you actually have to execute this and mm. be all in on it. And I think that's what both those guys are really good at is being all in on every step along the way instead of just kind of like going through the motions. Uh, and I think just like the level of confidence that they both have is like pretty incredible and pretty rare. Like, like Finn is like, I don't know, like Loic just has like a different confidence to him mm-hmm. that is quite unique. Like, I don't know if there's any other person I've met that is like the same as Loic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite interesting, but, but yeah. Luke- it, or looks, it seems to have a the persona of a doctor going to surgery. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to go do the job. Yeah. I know it's incredibly hard, but I'm incredibly skilled. <laughs> you know? I yeah. know there's something about, he does have this, almost this aura, to be fair. Yeah, no, you know, he does. It's like a char- It's like a charming confidence combo. Do you think the like... eyebrows help? Because I imagine they store a lot of, <laughs> a lot of charisma. In, yeah, yeah, charisma in, in those yeah. eyebrows, yeah. I mean, he's an amazing yeah. athlete. And I think that, I think that, Hmm. we have this thing where like, you know, this amazing French riders coming through and we all have so much respect for them, yada, yada. But I wonder if they hadn't all come through at the same time, whether like Loris, if it wasn't for Amory and Loic would be like probably world dominating, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's an amazing period of French downhill. What, what's your perception? If you were a team manager um, tomorrow <laughs> and you've got big checks, you know, <laughs> big, big money. Checks, <laughs> Over those three French riders, and you can sign one. Who is it? Who, who would you pick? All fit and healthy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Between Amari, Loic, and Loris. Nice, yeah. And I but, can only choose one. I mean, I would say they're, they're probably the top three. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah you can only choose sure. one. Well, that's hard because I'm biased towards Loic. Okay. Because, like, I feel like we have, we have like, a good relationship. You know, yeah. we have a lot of fun when we hang out. I don't out. think he listens to this, by the way. I think he'll be okay. Yeah, okay. Well, I know, but, like, but that's, like, I was like, oh, i choose Loic, hands down. It'd be so fun. <laughs> yeah, I see. You know, yeah, yeah. like. <laughs> He's actually one of our top commenters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all over Pink Mike. Uh, it would be Loic, I mm. think. Or Loris would be a close second. Mm. Um, I just really like... Like, I feel like Loris has a lot more to give. Mm. Maybe Loris. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, I, I think all the ones, yeah. I would love him to get his fair share of success. Yeah. Because he's won a, I don't know, he's won like 10 World Cups now or something. He's yeah. won quite a lot. As, yeah. Yeah. yeah like, there was that season where he, he won like a few in a row, maybe? Yeah, he, or, yeah. If it hadn't been for Snowshoe that year, he would have won yeah. the overall. Um, yeah, I'd love to get him in to get a bit of, he seems like, I don't know him at all really, but he seems like such a nice yeah, guy. I mean, yeah. they all seem really yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if we look, so you joined Specialized Gravity, this kind of a big adapting. And as you said, you then won world champs. And you yeah. said you got with imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome about that. Yeah, that was like a bit of a weird one. Like, obviously winning world champs is like super sick. Yeah. But it was, I sometimes think it would almost be better if I'd been second that day, you know? Yes. Like, I that, so that season I'd done, it was my first season on Specialized. I did one race. Uh, Lords super close to the podium I was stoked it was like the perfect first race to be on this big team I was like ready to kind of like 
kind of get into it. And then after Lords, we went to Fort William, which is like my cursed location. <laughs> mm. You know, I think I've maybe started there 10 or eight times and maybe crossed the finish line twice. Wow. You know, like it's just, just a shitty spot for me. What happened to that year? Was it? And that year, uh, that year I was like so much like, re- not regret. Yeah. Kind of regret, I guess. Like that year in practice, I was like, I could win this race like that was the first time one of the very first times that i was at a world cup where i was like i could be top three or like maybe i could even win this race like it was i never really felt that level of confidence before and i was feeling really good and then last run before qualifying i just slid out on this route and just landed on my knee like Mm. bent straight onto a rock and uh, i tore my pcl bruised my femur tore like my calf and bruised my tibia the head of my tibia and like it was it was pretty crazy. I was like, man, I was like, I for sure just broke my leg. Yeah. <laughs> like it hurts so bad. But that's quite a range of movement you've restricted at any sort yeah. of thing. And it instantly you could feel it like in my knee pad, it was like boom, like wow. instantly swollen. And then I stood up, I could like put weight on it, but it was like pretty feeling super weird and I ended up rolling down and kind of ruined my season. Like I didn't really wasn't able to come back that well. Like I was trying to race, but I was injured. I was like trying to race in this, like when one of Jack's, uh, like Lowe's mechanic, he had like a knee brace. I was like trying to race in this knee brace, but it's like, couldn't even really do squats. And I think I felt like in hindsight, it would have been way better if I just flown home right away and like done everything I could to like, Mm. you know, get, better but i was i stayed with the team there was a physio with the team so we're like definitely working on it but you're still in this position where you know like a year ago i could only dream of staying in this hotel and now i'm staying in this like hotel but i'm not doing anything Mm -hmm. and it like really kind of got to me like they're investing all this money into me but i'm not doing anything like i can't do anything and it was like really hard and by the time we got to world champs in Australia, I had pretty much given up. I was like, well, this is going to be my last race with the team. So I might as well just like have a sick time. And like, it was, it was a sick time, you know, like yeah. Finn and I would play Frisbee on the beach every day. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, like we had, we all had like a ton of fun. And then. So were you on a one year contract? Sorry. I was, yeah. Oh, on so a one year really contract. Then. It really was. I was like, oh, yeah. this is it for sure. You know, like I didn't really get any. That was been really, 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 really tough. Yeah, it sucked. It was like, yeah. man, I finally got this thing and now it's going to be kind of taken away. Or like, not taken away, like, because I didn't do no, anything, but, but it's like, oh, I didn't really get a shot at it. Yeah. Um, That's what I felt a bit like with um, Jackson Connolly when we hit Australian oh, yeah. on Pink Bike Racing. Yeah. And he was just such a talented rider. Um, it's funny, if ever, <laughs> if ever I speak to anyone that's like, has like connections to like a race team. Yeah. I'm like, just so you know. There's this guy, his attitude was always bang on. He's so friendly, so talented, just got super unlucky with injuries. Yeah. And I think he felt like that because he was just coming back from a really nasty shoulder injury, like a bone Mm -hmm. graft in his shoulder. Was coming back up to pace and then broke his wrist. Yeah. And I think he felt like, this is, this is, this is it. Like my, my chance. Yeah. I fucked it. And, um, I I really, I really hope that, I think he's young enough. I really hope that it's not the last we hear of Jackson Connolly (laughs) at World Cup Racing. He's still chipping away at it. And, um. I always, I would be so stoked to see him do well, but sorry. Yeah. I think there's, it just reminded me of that situation. Must be, it sounds really, really hard though. Yeah. And it's like when I, you know, I've been injured almost like 
since 2007, I've been injured almost every year, Mm. you know, like up until last year, you know, like it's, it's part of it, but like, I'd never had anything to really lose before. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I was like, it was funny. I was sitting in the back of like the minivan right up before I went for my run and I had a really shitty qualifying round. I'd like crashed and, and then, uh, I was watching like that Stevie video. It's like the, the one, I think the Parkin brothers put together. And it was, he was saying, he's like, either way, you know, I can't remember what he says. He, he, he like kind of is like, either way I'm pumped or I'm damn pumped or something <laughs> like that. And I was like, it's true, man. Like, mm-hmm. look where I am. You know, this is, this is sick. Uh, and then I went up and I ended up winning. Um, and there was definitely like kind of some weird like oddities to the race that sort of took it away from me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, um, they had to use backup timing for pom pom mm-hmm. and then like. So there's like a lot of like question marks around that. And at the time I was like, Fuck, I don't care. Like give mm-hmm. the win to Pom Pom if yeah. you're like so convinced that she won. Yeah. Uh, like my time is still faster, like barely, but like, yeah. you know, I don't know. I'm not like in charge of the yeah, timing. You, 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 your, your job <laughs> you is know? to be the fastest when you can. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I kind of got like, it wasn't, I couldn't fully celebrate it. Cause like a lot of, yeah, it was just kind of weird, you know, yes, like you didn't want to, you didn't really want to like celebrate it super hard when. Yeah, pom poms like kind of like what like yeah I don't have that bad of a run. <laughs> no, did did yeah. the one that you had feel good though? Can you remember? Yeah, no, I, I was like really like stoked on my run and like I I kind of like rode in my like I said I crashed in qualifying and it's because I was trying too hard and I like came up with a really good plan for my race of like where I could push where I felt like I had to hold back a bit and then I was just gonna like go all out in the sprint because it was like a huge sprint finish. And I remember being like super stoked with like, you know, how I, how I did it all. And I was like, oh, that was, that was awesome. But I, I wasn't like, oh yeah, I'm going to win. <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah. For, for contrast, if we look at Mick Hanna, who got very close that year, just pipped by Luke. Yeah. I think if, I mean, it's literally like, if it was for two seconds over three races, he'd be a three-time world champion. <laughs> yeah. When you said, you know, it's kind of the, more the mixed bag of winning world champs. It's, you know, like it's the rub of the green. Sometimes you get it and sometimes you get, don't. Yeah. And you don't decide that. <laughs> and I've, I know, I mean, it'd be interesting to, if you ever, spook, if you ever, when, when you look at his situation, it's super gnarly because he just didn't get any luck. Yeah. And there's always someone just having a great day. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend, John was his mechanic. Okay. Yeah. And they were doing loads of testing and this, that, and the other. And I, yeah. I feel like it was one of the races. I felt like the course was maybe a bit of an outlier. People were pursuing some different things in tyres that maybe yeah. they wouldn't have previously or um, similar to that South Africa one when Stevie actually had that custom bike. Yeah. Um, and John wanted Mick not to run sealant. Oh, really? He was like, yeah. because if, if it's point one of a second, point yeah. two of a second. Yeah, that's, 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 that's your win. <laughs> and Mick said, no, I think that, you know, we need to just yeah, execute the, the procedures yeah. that we always do. And that's running sealant. Like we, yeah. we've got to run sealant if yeah, something yeah. happens. And then obviously came down and yeah, it was a very small margin, about 0.2, I think. Just, just missed it. And brutal. Yeah. Brutal. We had a, we had like a board for Loic, like Finn, uh, Kevin and I went out with like a timing board at the beginning of the sprint to like tell him, I can't no remember way, what was F1. on. Yeah. yeah no I can't way. remember what was on the board, like if he was up or down or how much or whatever. 
But yeah, I remember being like, all right, that's what we're doing. I was like, oh, I want to come, like for sure. And we're like on the side of the track holding the board as he like came into the sprint. You ever heard of like espionage when people like, they hang out different washing or something like this? It's like you. Well, when, it must have been one hell of a party though. With Lloyd, with Lloyd winning, with you winning for Specialized. That's, that yeah, was a dream. They must have been stoked. And uh, Melanie Chapaz, who was on a Specialized with Olin's, won junior women that mm. year as well. Um, yeah, sweet. Straight to Gilligan's, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Straight and, from Gilligan's to the airport. <laughs> and how's that feeling kind of distilled over time? Do you, how, how do you look on it? Do you feel about it now? You know, you said at the time it was hard to really accept or embrace. But you were yeah. a world champion, and that's something not that. Yeah, that's I very think definition. As, like time goes on, you're like, yeah, that's super special. Like, mm. I still like not. I don't know. I'd never like tell anyone that, you know. Mm. But like, it still is nice to know that. Like you fucking did you know, it, man. Yeah, I got it. I, yeah. I have the those stripes, and that's like something I can always kind of look back on, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I think we have a strange thing in mountain biking, though, where I think fun if Tracy had it similar thing in like Fort William the next year because Rachel she, I think up until that point anyway and I don't know maybe how it panned out but I don't think she'd ever felt she'd beaten Rachel like fair, fair and square fair yeah. and square and she finally won a World Cup after Rachel just dominating that yeah. period she's on track and it's kind of brutal and I think she felt um, maybe I, I didn't deserve it similar win Masters I think in 2016 I guess won that Rotary AWS oh yeah and as you know, people say, oh, but you know, the big excuse, whether it's Rachel crashing or hometown advantage or whatever, yeah. but actually you've got to fucking do it, man. <laughs> yeah. I've never done anything in my life. I, got, <laughs> I, I, got, I didn't even answer emails on time. <laughs> um, and you know, or, I, you, you won a world championship. Yeah. So that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's true. And it's, f- it is funny. Like when you have those thoughts or yeah, cause you're like, well, yeah, no one. No one, I don't think, was like maybe Wynn was feeling that about himself, but no one was like, yeah. "Oh, well, you know, he rides here or what?" You know, like no one's really saying that stuff, mm-hmm. but you're saying it. <laughs> but it must be hard, though, to be. I think to be an athlete at that level, you have to be very self-analytical, self-critical in some ways. Be like, "How can I get better?" Yeah, and to suspend that just to embrace something must <laughs> yeah. be really hard. Yeah, and I think that's like almost what the French do really well. You know, they're like very emotional, but yeah. they like allow themselves to like really enjoy it too. Yes. Which I think is pretty cool. Absolutely. Because yeah, maybe, maybe that's more of like a West North American thing or something, you know? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm a British person, so I know nothing about being repressed for, for the record. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I've always really liked about Troy, actually. Like when Troy has a sick run and he's just like screaming, you know, when he mm. cries, I was like, yeah. That's cool. Mm. <laughs> I don't know what that feels like. <laughs> <laughs> and um, why did you move away from downhill? Uh, well, so then the season after the winning world championships obviously bought me another year on the team. Um, and then that was like the worst year. I was racing in world champ stripes, but I had like this weird wrist thing going on. Um, you know, I've had like, know, like six broken wrists and surgeries on, wow. on my arms and stuff. Like they're definitely not sweet. Um, but I was getting really weird, like, oh, it was almost like a golf ball size, like swelling in my yeah. wrist, like when I'd ride downhill and I'd like hit compressions, my wrist would roll, things like that. Shit. Um, and I just start each time I'd get on my downhill bike, my confidence would just go down and down and down. And then I have felt this pressure of like wearing this Jersey and all these races that like, you're supposed to be sick if you're the world champ, you know, and I can like barely hold on to my bike. 
And again, Mm -hmm. instead of trying to pull back and like fix it, I kind of just tried to like push forward. Um, And then at the same time, Specialized was coming out with like this new prototype downhill bike and it was a 29er and I was like, oh, maybe a 29er would really help me. And so I was like, I can be a value to Specialized by like riding this bike because Finn and Loic were just like, we're not riding this bike. (laughs) Because it was like, I mean, honestly, at the time, it just wasn't very good. But I was looking for any way to be better or to like prove that I could still be a value, even if I'm not like racing well or something. And like in hindsight, I shouldn't have run that bike and I should have just maybe like skipped a race or something Mm -hmm. and like really focused on getting my wrist better, things like that. Um, Instead of just trying to like push through and be like put on a brave face and act like next weekend will be better yeah because like it probably won't that's so (laughs) it's easier said than done though right yeah it's so hard to you know when you're riding and you're just staring at your front wheel and you have one of those days where you just you just can't do it but that's that's kind of metaphor for life in a lot of ways like when you're staring (laughs) at the front wheel yeah it's just things are coming so fast and Mm -hmm. you never you never have the time to prepare yeah um were you when you left when you stopped racing downhill for whatever reason did you would you say you fell out of love with it or did you love it as much as ever? No, it was like more so I find with downhill, you finish a season and you're like really exhausted emotionally. Yeah. Um, like your nervous system is like pretty fried because, you know, over, over these weekends there's so many extreme highs and so many extreme lows kind of thing. Like as you just throughout practice, you know, you're building yourself up for a practice run and then you're tr- coming back down and then you're building yourself up like all weekend. It's like yo-yoing. And I find like at the end of a downhill season, I'd be absolutely exhausted. Um, and that fatigue takes a long time to kind of recover. And I was just pretty burnt out. Like I wanted to do things that I f- couldn't do. And it was just frustrating. And I was like mm-hmm. tired. And my confidence on the bike was like so low that I was like, I can't race downhill. Yeah. You know, like, I'll, like it's pointless. And so I was like, well, Enduro's not as gnarly. Yeah. <laughs> And it's not, you know, like, and a physical fatigue is way easier to recover from. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so I, I just kind of took up the, had an opportunity to go with Kona to go race Enduro. So okay, I figured why not. And whilst we're talking about that, you know, you're saying like ramping up and the intensity and for reference, we're recording this just after the Andorra World Cup, where yeah. obviously it got rained off and yeah. only had one final. As a racer, what do you make of the, the idea of a semi-final? Because that's what strikes it to me. It's, it's not only ramping up for the intensity, which is, is one thing, but it's really exhausting to do it twice, yeah, you know? For sure. I don't know. I mean, as an outsider, I'm, I think, friggin' scrap the semi-final. Um, I, I mean, think about it. I might try and race a World Cup at the end of the year. Oh, cool. What, and, MSA? Yeah. Oh, so cool, man. I, I don't know yet. I have to see if I can get a jersey and stuff. Mm. Um, but I've been thinking about it a lot because I'm like, okay, so now if I go race a World Cup, I'm going to have to do these like three, three gnarly runs, you know, that you have to be like so precise and like so perfect and really special runs. Like you're qualifying in your race run, you should be really special. And I don't know what it would be like to do a third. And I, and I don't like, as a spectator, I don't like it. Like I, I think one race I tried to watch all of it and I was just so over it. I yeah. was like, I don't even 
by the time you get to finals, you're like, I don't even <laughs> care anymore. Like, you know, you just want to like see the exciting thing, yeah. but you just watch like. But the daft thing is. For, so much of it. <laughs> yeah. You, you just get flooded with it, right? Yeah. But for two more race ones, you could have a full WS, EWS. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you yeah, I don't like it. No. <laughs> what do you think? I believe, and as someone that isn't a racer, maybe I don't have the skin in the game to really, um, for my opinion, to even be valid. Let's call it as it is. Um, but I think that in some ways the field does need to put, it's a horrible truth that maybe the field does need to become smaller because just the timing of the day is really hard with that many riders. Um, I would love to see as a consequence or maybe um, in preparation of that for the UCI to really support grassroots racing because I think there are a lot of races that hope to get into the top 60 that would actually probably rather have a summer at home mm-hmm. racing nationally and showing what they can do there in a competitive field. The problem is everyone goes race World Cup, so you've got to go if you want to make it. Yeah. Um, but what do you think about cutting down the field size? Do you think it's, it's fair or? Uh, I think yes to a, to kind of like to sort of go on what you were saying. Like, if you do want the sport to be more exciting to watch, um, things like that, then yeah, I, th- I think so. And like you said, like for me to race nationally, there isn't enough events or competition that I can, pr- like, I'm not, I'm not saying like, I'm, I'm not, I'm obviously not the best in Canada, like, but like Gracie is already in, she's already made that leap to world cups, mm. but like for me to race a Canada cup, maybe one race would have, you know, a deep field of competition, but the next won't, yes. or, you know, we have like three Canada cups. Um, so yeah, like you said, I, if we had way more racing nationally and stuff, it would be way better. And then you actually go to the world cups feeling, you know, you've conquered your country and now it's time mm. to go to the world cup. Yeah. I wrote this rambling op-ed last year and Brian thought we were going to get sued, so I couldn't put it out. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's my, my, my feeling would be that if something like that happened, it'd be really great. But what I would really endorse is if teams, how to put this, protected places awarded to teams and teams then chose their riders to be in the protected slots, much like, you know, Formula One oh, teams yeah. have two things. And then say you could have, say, five riders registered to a team or four, whatever. Yeah. But the, what we need to do is we need to, so everyone gets paid better, which is the other issue, we need to have an artificial increase for like squad riders or developing riders. And then if the field size was smaller, you might find, or it would be really cool if, say, Santa Cruz, I don't know, heaven forbid, like Greg, whatever, gets injured. They'd be like, well, we need the oval points. Let's can, draft in a national they can person. Call up a rider. Yeah, yeah that's um, pretty cool. I know something like that. I feel that like it's really mad with the one of the only sports where it's like the teams can be two members, they can be seven members. Yeah. It's all a bit weird. Yeah. I don't really under, I don't really understand the reasoning still. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's a pretty cool idea. And I'm I am torn because it's like I was a privateer for so long, and like that's racing World Cups is kind of how I made it happen for myself. So I'd like hate that someone also couldn't have that opportunity. But I also think that I didn't necessarily do it the right way. Yeah. I was able to utilize those opportunities, but it wasn't like 
like a lot of the time I shouldn't have been at a World Cup. I should have been like at a Canada Cup or a US Cup, like racing Jill or, you know, like yeah. other people before I got to this World Cup. But I just, there wasn't that opportunity. And as a Canadian, because you're born in Squamish, well, raised in Squamish, eh? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. moved here from Pemberton, so oh, okay. when I was so, like 12 or something, so yeah. All see the sky. Yeah, see the sky. <laughs> so how do you feel about what Crankworks offers? Because as someone that worked for teams, it was always kind of weird because you'd go, you'd have this down week between World Cups or similar, but it involved you, you getting ready like six bikes for one rider. And then yeah. they'd do the whole time be like, it's so great that we're just having a relaxed time and you'd be there doing 17 hour days. Like, yeah great yeah cool <laughs> but it's weird we have these world cups which are super serious and then we have these crankworks events which there's no reason they shouldn't be just as serious really like there's money on the line yeah but it's like it's just decided that it's fun which is great yeah that, that is funny it kind of limits what crankworks maybe the prestige of the series i think crankworks is for slope style yeah. and i think downhillers have always Downhillers have delicate egos, you know, and <laughs> when they're not the main show, I think that's part of it too. Yeah. Um, because yeah, maybe, like yeah. heaven forbid that the slope style gets canceled, but like the downhill, like, you know, I rode a row, they're like, uh, like, can you guys just like race right now? And everyone's <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yeah, we don't want it to rain for slope style, yeah. you know? So then I think that kind of like says to those big dogs that they don't matter as much. And then too, just like you, other than Whistler this year, the tracks are never quite World Cup standard. Mm-hmm. Um, they could be because all these locations are pretty sick. Um, and then, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe it's just because, well, it's interesting because I've actually talked to like a few people that have used Crankworks to jumpstart their careers. Mm-hmm. Um, like Nico Malali was saying, that's how he got his like main break. Uh, Martin Whiteley like saw him at the Canadian Open. Like, I know Troy Brosnan did the same thing. And it's funny because those kids, like Rami and I were talking about it, it's like, man, we never took Crankworks seriously like that. When really, like, these other people saw this opportunity to make a name for themselves, and we we're just like, oh, well, maybe it's because we're from here, so we're, like, racing at home, and so it didn't feel important. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think um, Luke Mayer-Smith yeah. went to Crankworks during that pandemic year, maybe the year before. Um, just put in a really good showing mm-hmm. and then use that results yeah. to get onto pro and same, same with Luca Shaw, Luca and Walker Shaw. Mm. Like they were kind of like crankworks, little crankworks stars, you know, yeah. uh, Mitch Ropolato, like people like that. And yeah, so you can definitely like use crankworks to be noticed, but yeah, it's, it is funny how like no one really, unless you're in it for like the, the king or queen or whatever, no one really takes it that seriously. But there is some big money on the line. There. I you know. Got, I was actually talking about this today. I was like, I wish I was more motivated by money, but like, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, well, I'm not that motivated. Like, I am, but I'm not like that motivated no. by money. <laughs> yeah, it's. But I think your your upbringing, well, a, an individual's upbringing, it's like a bell curve because I think that, hmm, I think that if you're like, hmm, maybe maybe this isn't for me to say, but my interpretation of it is that. If you come from quite a wealthy background, you can always be like, you know, um, like in a sport, but the riches of all, like, ah, it's not actually the money that makes us happy. We're just, but that's just what we are. And then there's like the middle classes, which, and the work classes, which really strive it. And then I think once you go towards the, like growing up, like I grew up basically on a farm in the nineties in the UK, yeah. which then money was really hard to come by. 
and we kind of dropped off the scale on the other end because we were like, well, we never had any money and we're always happy. Yeah. So I think either end they have like a really weird relationship For with sure. it or like if your if your parents sort of have a discipline that from quite a young age, but it's it's interesting how much it forms Yeah. It forms so many decisions, your your early formative years about money. And I think like for myself i was the youngest of four and like by the time i was old enough to do all these things my parents just didn't have the resources to support me you know and they're always like oh i'm like so sorry we didn't put you in ski school and like all that (laughs) stuff you're like yeah but like by the time i was old enough to go to ski school it wasn't a few hundred dollars it was like this like thousand dollar program or whatever um and my parents always did this cool thing because i wanted to do everything you yeah. know, and they gave me a hundred dollars a month allowance, which was like obviously quite a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But then I, I, you know, had to budget and pay for all the sports that I wanted yeah, to do. Right. So then uh, just quickly you're like, well, like I really like biking and like soccer is just okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so then you like, you kind of start to like figure out what you want to do. And when I was a privateer, I think I was like so frugal and mm-hmm. like, stressed out about spending too much money mm-hmm. and then you get a little bit more money and then you realize that like you know it comes and goes it comes and goes <laughs> yes no totally you know and you don't need a ton of it to have a good time you definitely need some, <laughs> you need some yeah but you don't need a ton of it and you kind of just become a little more like driven by i think the experience of it than stressing over you know spending two hundred dollars for four hundred dollars or something yeah yeah. Something you said um, just early on about down, not pe- people, everyone has an ego. <laughs> Downhillers aren't immune to that and not being the main show. So, you know, maybe you do take it less seriously because of that expectation. Um, racing enduro in the last couple of years, especially this year, has changed drastically. Now we've got the situation where enduro isn't, isn't, it's, isn't its own main show and its own concert. It's now paint playing a supporting role yeah. at a festival. Um, what's, what's your, how many injuries are you racing this year, if any? And how does it, how do, how do these events feel now? Yeah, it's a funny one for me. I feel like I've never seen myself as an enduro racer, even though I've raced a few seasons now. <laughs> I still just feel like someone like showing up to try it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm sure my results uh, show that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I raced the first two. I actually crashed out of the first two rounds. Hugies in both of them. Oh, no way. Uh, and then I raced Finale or Pietra. And then I'm going to go to Chatel next week oh, and good. do that one. Awesome. It is interesting to. Uh, yeah, so 2019 was the first full season I did. Um, I think that was probably the most fun season out of like the three, three or four seasons that I've done. Um, bigger days. Uh, pretty cool venues that we went to tough days like like really you know you'd finish the weekend pretty pretty bagged now it's like quite intense and it's like you're doing five really sketchy downhill runs Mm. that have like huge sprints in them or something you know um and enduro is a funny one because there's so many opinions and it's really fun to do, but mm. then you're like, I don't know if anyone cares. Mm. It's, it's from my point of view, like, I don't know, you know? Yeah, it's great to do, but I don't even know if watching an enduro is fun. 
well, if you know what I mean. No, like, no, I like, know what you mean. It's it's really hard. It's really hard to really showcase. Hard to showcase. It was never really made for that, I don't think. So, yeah. What if you could pick any format for an enduro? You said your first full season is a 2019. I assume yeah. you did one or two beforehand. Yeah, I did a couple uh, with specialized beforehand. Yeah, yeah. What What do you think? You know, if you were making the Miranda Miller Squamish <laughs> enduro or whatever. Yeah. Or Whistler, you know, you could have lifts, you could have shuttles, you could have all pedaling. Yeah. It could be two days of racing, it could be one day, it could be blind, it could be not. What what race do you think you'd want? You know, I really liked our national championships. We did two black pedal, two black on laps, and then we had like one really hard, like top of the world into misfire, into delayed Which fuse, brutal, like for the brutal, record, brutal, brutal run. And then we had like two pretty intense... I rode Misfire, and I got Dude. cramp in my biceps. I've never had that before. Misfire is like a <laughs> weird one for me. I come unglued on Misfire every time I ride it. Yeah. I have like, like I, it's like you'll be feeling good, you'll drop in and halfway down, you know, I just have like a breakdown. I'm like, get me out of here. That must have been brutal though, <laughs> top of the world, all the way to Misfire. Yeah, I think I, 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 it rode way better than I thought. Like, obviously you're cooked at the end, but I was really proud of sort of uh, how I felt when I finished. And again, you're at a different level. So if that had been an EWS, maybe the results she would have said differently. And I wouldn't have felt as proud of my effort, you know, yeah. but I felt like I metered my effort really well. Nice. Um, but yeah, I like when the focus is on really quality stages. Um, some of the earlier events I, that I've done that I didn't like were like you felt like you were on some weird adventure to go <laughs> look at a bridge or something. You're like, why did we come out here? Yeah. To race like a trail that's not that good. Yeah. Uh, so I like when the focus is on just stringing together really quality trails, um, <clears throat> whether that's a combination of lift access or climbing. Um, but I do like it when it's big days and everyone is tired at the end because it feels more like racing enduro. Yeah. I like the idea of like brings it down a notch too. Yeah. And when the physical fatigue is the same as it's the same or greater than the mental fatigue, yeah, not exactly. just. Like almost like a sugar buzz, like oh man, yeah. I'm just just fried, you know. Um, what do you think about blind enduro racing? Uh, I did my first blind enduro this year, like Stone King Rally. Oh yeah, how was that, dude? It was best week of my life. Yeah, <laughs> it was so incredible. It was unreal. Did they have any flags or anything to signify what was coming up, or was it just completely? It was blind. Wow. I think maybe there was like maybe some spots had little pieces of tape or something. Mm. You just kind of wanted to like not be first, but not be last, you know, because <laughs> if there's something sketchy, there's probably like a bunch of skid marks like going into it. Yeah. Um, and like Ash, the guy that runs it, he's like super cool guy, but I feel like he just fucks with you all the time. Yeah. And like none of the descriptions are like real. <laughs> like one of them, he was like, this is the gnarliest stage of the day. And we just written like some crazy weird shit. And we're like, oh man, like what is this going to be? And you're riding, you're like halfway down and you're like, this isn't gnarly. Like, and you're mm. like, wait, was he just messing with us? Like, <laughs> um, I loved blind racing. I don't think blind racing is like, it feels good in the adventure setting. I don't think I'd want it to be like the pinnacle of like enduro racing. Mm. I, I don't know. Just because I feel like you're maybe more limited on the terrain that, because it is pretty sketchy. Yeah. So it's like, I think from a safety point of view, you'd be more limited on like the trails that you could race or the places you could go. But I mean, I love, I love it, but I don't think that would be like, you know, the world cup of Enduro maybe. 
I like the one run format. And did you practice. like the the two day formats of racing that used to be, or do you want think one day? Um, I don't really care. Don't really care. Fair. I think if it's like quality racing, I don't care how mm. many days it is. I love I love the idea of the world's like basically trying to build build out a weekend of racing that include the Sunday was like a bucket list day of trails. Yeah. That's what, like the kind of thing that you'd want to go and ride. It'd be, it'd be brutal. It'd be like maybe two or 3000 meters of descending. Maybe there's some yeah. lift access, maybe some not, but it'd be the kind of day that you'd be itching to do with your yeah. friends. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I don't care how you get there if the trails are good, Yeah, but sometimes you have to do these punishing climbs or go to these venues that you're like, why are we racing here? You know, why are we racing in Zermatt? Yeah. You know, like it's so expensive and so there's expensive. no bike trails. Um, so, I mean, I guess it's good they moved away from Dermat, but, yeah. <laughs> but you know, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think as long as the focus is on quality trails and riding. Yeah. Mm. It's hard. I, I've always felt that. Hmm. I guess I always felt with EWS that it was so good at one point that it was pulling people's riders desire away from just doing downhill because they want to do it as a treat almost yeah for sure now i feel like people are less engaged and i think that subsequently a year or two later on i think that's bleeding into the audience's perception of the sport mm-hmm. i feel like the, the audience can pick up that oh actually you know the whether it's i mean obviously I'm, I'm bagging on it and i i don't know what i'm talking about our listeners but people athletes saying oh well, actually it used to be like this it used to be so exciting and then that kind of beats i think it kind of undermines the excitement of a race weekend to know that yeah some of these riders aren't that stoked on even riding it which is such a shame because it, these trails could be anywhere in the world i guess yeah yeah um how, how do you so now that you you had a couple of years on kona what was it, it sounds like you know you had that kind of defining period at specialized was defined by privateer and then ending up on this factory team and <laughs> kind of maybe wondering how you got there because it was just such an exciting prospect. How would you define your years on Kona? And then obviously now transitioning to this RAM setup. Yeah, Kona was cool. Like I joined, uh, like Matt DePel was the team manager at Kona. And like I've known Maddie for like 10 plus years. We used to sleep on his floor in Bromont, like when we were racing Canada Cups. Uh, and he would always kind of look after us. And yeah, Kona was cool. I When I first joined Kona, it was... I was excited. You know, Kona has always had something cool going on. Mm. You know, they had like the clump. They had like Fabian Burrell and Tracy Mosley. Then they had Connor. Like they always had this like, they kind of were scrappy and did it their own way. And they're a bit like, I don't know, old school North Shore crew. But they always had something big and cool and like a culture to them. Um, but I think towards the end of my time there, I felt less and less of that. And I think maybe they're in a bit of like a, obviously they got bought and they're in a weird sort of, sort of phase, like a lot of, yeah, I don't know. I just like, it started off really cool. And then by the end it wasn't bad, but it just didn't have that culture that I thought I would get from a brand Mm -hmm. like Kona. Um, but I think maybe that just had to do with them getting the brand ready to sell it and like do things like that. But culture within a race team or within a relationship, like, you know, we all have jobs, some workplaces have a really amazing culture. Sometimes it can be great, but not what it was, et cetera. And that's race teams are no different. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think also, I think with racing, they de- it demands so much of you. It does. And for yeah. all the staff, it demands so much time. Yeah. You've all got to be feeling yeah. 
I think DePel was ready for a change too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you see him on Forbidden now and Connor on Forbidden and it's like a new sort of injection of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say that their time at Connor, like they, they yeah, had like, yeah, but... like Connor loved being on Connor, yeah. you know, but I think like change is good. Change is good. And like, I think it kind of revived like that whole kind of squad. And I think there was also too a bit of, uh, some people were like really down with racing. Some people weren't down with racing. And then like, like, well, maybe we like do half, like there was like a bit of like muddiness in like what the direction should be. Mm. Um, and Kona was still a fairly small brand. So it was, yeah, you know, like, difficult. yeah, it was a bit difficult. Um, now you're on this Ram deal. So you run, you have a different, you saw in a Commonsile downhill bike, <laughs> you got Santa Cruz. Yeah. Enduro bike. You've got some kind of gravel wonderment thing. Got a canyon gravel bike. Yeah. Uh, I've got a Trek Fuel EX. Got a transition. So, what what's that like? Do they just say <laughs> have at it, or do they basically try and suggest what bikes work well with their shocks, whatever? Yeah, I think this year probably. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing next year, but this is kind of like the first of this kind of program. Mm. Um, and. I think it was kind of like, I remember it was, I think kind of Tyler Moreland's idea and a few years ago or maybe a couple of years now he was, he kind of was like, well, why do frame companies like own the riders? And you're like, yeah, well, good point. Um, and so most of my frames are kind of chosen, I think based on like their OE partnerships mm-hmm. and then also the, the media and the events that I do, I did this year, or I'm going to do this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we did a video at Stone King Rally. It kind of makes sense to be on a Santa Cruz, yeah. uh, for example, or like I race Finland Gravel, and that's a Canyon-sponsored event, and I have a Canyon Gravel bike. Is that bike. the Valtteri Bottas one? Yeah. No way! Yeah, yeah. How was it? It was sick, yeah. Finland Gravel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Finland Gravel, yeah. <laughs> did you meet the man himself? Yeah, for sure. Was he yeah. nice? Yeah, he was incredible. Yeah, we, so- we filmed a video with him, actually, uh, for SRAM, and the then... The Divergent Mind thing, I think that's coming out soon, right? Uh, yeah, so that, that episode... Well, we actually filmed... Since we were there, we filmed the Welcome to SRAM video, uh, just for, like, Instagram or whatever, for SRAM, to welcome Valtteri to the team, and so, yeah, we kind of got to spend a day with him, and I we hung out again at Steamboat Gravel, and... It was pretty, it was pretty interesting. Like for someone who is actually like a superstar, you know, like super regular dude and like, is just down to drink a beer, hang out. It was, it was a pretty cool experience. Cause you're like, you see, you know, you watch all these like shows and you're like, oh, these guys are like, (laughs) these guys are like famous, you know? And then you meet him and then you kind of forget that he's famous. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's a super cool guy. Loves freaking loves biking so yeah i think maybe just like finnish people too are just like pretty chill yeah you know I've, i think finnish people are chill my experience with finnish people is they're really relaxed until they go partying <laughs> and then they're just a flip a, yeah a i feel like they're switch. all mad dogs yeah like, <laughs> yeah. like yeah like every finnish person i've ever met has been so lovely and modest yeah. and kind and then it's like they unleash a beast <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just all bets are off I I noticed too, like in Finland, like they were, they look very like, you know, a bit of a resting bitch face, like mm. the Finnish people. And they were like, kind of just like stare at you mm. and not, it was like kind of weird. Like, but then as soon as you broke, like this, like you started a conversation or you broke the surface, like they were just like cracking crazy jokes, you know, like yeah. they're like all of a sudden just like, yeah, they're like super fun and like outgoing, but like their fir- your first initial 
sort of meeting is like very like straight faced and like almost. yeah mm. yeah exactly and um so you might might race msa yeah maybe i don't know who knows you yeah. might do a bit of gravel you're gonna go to these <laughs> ewss um it's weird to think that we're recording this last day of august and we're talking Crazy. about like, the season's still when I mean, there's so much racing still to yeah. go especially in world cup racing yeah it's exciting how are you feeling about an october msa are you bringing your waterproof socks i guess well now that i said i'm gonna do it it's probably gonna suck you know <laughs> it's probably gonna like snow i just cursed it for everyone yeah um but if i don't go it'll probably be super nice well i've had a really similar <laughs> thought you know when if it's ever really wet outside so you buy an expensive rain jacket and yeah. it stops raining as soon as it gets delivered exactly i have my gift to the squamish mountain biking scene is that I bought a Whistler ski pass and spent all of my money on ski oh, equipment. sick, yeah. So riding this, yeah, this yeah, winter gonna is going to be amazing. Yeah. So thank me later. That, that's on the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'll just be grinding skis out on rocks. Yeah. It's, it's going to be fantastic. Just core shots all day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and that's a really nice place to leave it. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. It's sure. been really, really great. Easy. Thank you. All right, there's the episode for this week. Now, Casimir, do you have any comment gold for us? I do, and this comment gold comes from Nygaard, and he commented on last week's episode of the Pink Bug Podcast, and he said, from now on, Casimir is in charge of the music corner, which yes. I like that, because I think the music <laughs> corner is my favorite thing, so I'm happily uh, happy to take charge of that when I can. But Henry has some good ideas, too. All, everyone here brings their own thing, but... <laughs> I do appreciate the comment, though. So, comment gold to Nygaard. I also appreciate the comment. And so with that, very relevant, we're going to head off into Music Corner. Mr. Casimir, what do you have to suggest for us this week? Yeah, I'll do two songs today since we only have, there's only two of us instead of three, so I'll, I'll take Henry's spot with one, maybe. But uh, <laughs> the first one is a band called Foreign Hands. I think they're from Delaware, and it's kind of like, it just reminds me of early 2000s, late 90s hardcore, uh, so I really like that. So this the song that they have is Separation Souvenir and the band is Foreign Hands. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've been into that one lately. It's a little heavier. And then kind of on the heavier kick, uh, I've also been listening to Sub Rosa a bit. And this is from, I think from 2011, 2010, somewhere around there, um, their album. And the song is called Borrowed Time, Borrowed Eyes. Um, so those two, yeah, those two songs have been heavy in my playlist the last week or so. Yeah. Cool. How about you? All right, I'm going to come in now with... Another two-song recommendation, but mine's going to be the transition from Pink Floyd's Empty Spaces into Young Lust on the Wall album. I just think it's a really cool musical moment, just that the transition of moods right there is excellent and one of my favorite moments in all of music that I've ever heard. And actually something it played for me in the hospital when I was like just getting out of the coma, which is like slightly fun fact that like they found things that were familiar and I guess they made me act like myself and that was one of the things. So that's like slightly cool. Um, but yeah, in slightly less grim news, I guess I also like that just because the whole album of the wall, I think is such a great example of like a concept album. And I think really move forward with the whole rock opera genre. And I don't know. It just feels influential to me and big and great. Yeah, no, I love Pink Floyd. It's I like I almost for, I don't forget about them sometimes, but then I'll go back and have like a deeper dive where I just have to mm-hmm. listen to it for a period, and then it kind of fades away. But yeah, no, I fully agree with that. I used to make podcast or a 
podcasts. I never used to make podcasts till recently, <laughs> but I did used to make playlists every month. And yeah, pretty much every month in around like 2016, 2017, 2018, I had just a playlist that reminded me of whatever is going on that month or whatever is on my mind or whatever songs I liked. And so I go back and listen to those semi-regularly and yeah, Pink Floyd appears a lot there. So that's nice. kind of fun. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think that wraps up our podcast episode today. So I hope you enjoyed this and learned something from the conversation and we'll talk to you all sometime soon. Bye.